Welcome everyone to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And today, we've got a really super interesting conversation. We're going to be talking about reshaping the problem as a much bigger opportunity and how that works into the whole marketing sales process. And, and we have with us here, Steve Arnsoff. And Steve, you're the SVP of marketing for FlexPay. You've, you've been in the business for over 20 years. So you've got the bumps and the bruises and the scars that go along with that. But you've got a very interesting perspective in terms of how marketing should be everything that the functional role that we all know about, but how it absolutely has to contribute to the overall growth and success of the business. And I think a big part of that is defining that problem, right, and what the true opportunity is. So that's going to be the bulk of our conversation here, but maybe give a little bit more in depth about Steve and what you've done and, and how you've kind of gotten to where you are here at FlexPay. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. First of all, thank you very much for having me. You've had some amazing guests um, in the past, so it's an honor to be part of the program, and I think we'll have a really fun chat today. Yeah, and so as you mentioned, I, I've grown up in marketing at a time where you know, you've seen the evolution of the marketing leadership role and what they're really held accountable to. And of course, we all, if you're in marketing, you know that the vanity metrics that uh, were the ways to evaluate performance of marketing have shifted dramatically to the poor drivers of business, right? The it's not even leads, it's pipeline creation, it's close one business, it's impact on, on revenue creation and, and cross-sell. And so... That doesn't mean that the strategic side of marketing has gotten any easier. We obviously most of us operate in very crowded marketplaces with lots of competition. So the the to me the the successful CMOs are able to really nail down the go to market to be able to create the story that resonates with the customers they're trying to reach. Um, but really understand that because the measurement that they're held accountable to involves the business generation is able to translate that across the organization to create the alignment within the company and across the rest of the leadership team and specifically drive the the top to bottom programs from awareness building all the way through you know lead generation engagement pipeline progression to help sales close more and and nail that because um i think usually the reason that cmos are not successful is because you're they're not able to drive that that contribution to, to, to revenue and to sales or it's not viewed at that way. So um really recognizing what it is that matters as success for the role um and building the rest of marketing along with you to be able to feed into that is is really the full stack of what we we live and own. So it's it's a complex fun role because of that. Yeah. And you know what I love about our conversations that have led up to this is that that go to market that strategy, that plan, really, I mean, everybody talks about, you know, you have to really understand your customer and you've got to define the problem, right? And that you're a unique solution to that problem. However, what you talk about is reshaping the problem as a larger priority for them. That's a big task, right? That's changing perceptions. That's changing the way people think. We're going to get into that and, and, and how you do that. But can you put it into your own words why that is a priority for you? Because if you get that right, right, then all of a sudden you are raising the importance and the stature of your company as part of the solution for a grander priority, not just the problem, right? But a priority for them 
to run a, a successful revenue creating high growth company themselves. So what's your what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's uh that's probably the most important challenge to overcome for marketing and in partnership with sales is how do you create a narrative so that when you go and talk to companies who you feel are good prospects for your solution, that they can understand that the the value of what you deliver is not the tool, it's not the it's not the functional delivery of whatever is that your widget does, but that the things they really care about, their priorities are being solved by what you deliver. I think we all have lived in the world where we have salespeople and BDRs coming at us and saying, I've got this great thing and you should care about this because you're in marketing and it's a MarTech solution. And I know from my own experience that my reaction is almost universally the same. I will often glance at because I'm a marketer. I want to see how the approach being taken. I'll evaluate and judge the marketing tactics and, and how they execute. But the reality is that if they're talking to me about something that I really care about and I'm trying to learn more, I'm trying to solve, then, you know, my ears go up and I get, you get my full attention. But if you're talking about a product, you're talking about a, uh, a thing and, and just functionally or tactically what it does, often I don't care. And so that really, to me, is the core of everything we do in marketing is how do you be able to reshape a story of what you deliver to create alignment on what it is that the big problems the company's trying to solve for. Um, you know, I think one of the one of the, the hurdles we all need to overcome is that when we talk to companies about our product and our solution, there's a reaction that ranges from, I'm not interested at all, to, oh, that sounds interesting. Uh, you know, maybe I'm, I'd like to learn more to, this is something that's critical to me now. It's an urgent priority I'm trying to solve for. Um, what you're talking about is something that I, even if I don't want to bind for you, I'm going to engage with you. And I think that that goal of how do you create a sense of urgency that not only is this a problem that's really large and you care about, but it's so important that you need to act and, and, and move through the process quickly is the ultimate outcome of what you're trying to deliver. And, and that really comes down to how you elevate the story. How do you reshape the problem into something that you think you're probably selling into what your customer really cares about? So, you know, as marketers, we're all storytellers, right? And so you've got a great story in terms of an example, right? Of taking a problem, redefining it as a priority. That's something that is immediate. that has incredible impact on their business and how you did that. And so it's all about reshaping the problem of loss on individual transactions, right? You're a fintech company. So... Tell us a little bit about what the kind of the the surface level, what the problem is, and how you redefine that to accomplish everything that you just you just mentioned there. Absolutely. So FlexPay is, as he says, a fintech company. Um, the solution we provide is looking to solve what are called failed payments. There's friction in the credit card world where the banks that issue credit cards to consumers are responsible for approving fraudulent transactions. And when a fraudulent transaction is approved, they're on the hook for, for making good on it. So the banks will lose about $30 billion each year on these on fraud losses. And so it's, they're, they're keen to avoid them. And as a consequence of that, they have programmed the algorithms that make decisions on whether or not uh, credit card requests for approval are declined or approved to bias more towards avoiding the possibility of accepting a fraudulent transaction. And they're willing to accept the declines of legitimate transactions. 
And that caused enormous pain to merchants and the customers the tune of several hundred billion dollars a year globally. So when I started working with FlexPay, we were talking about the problem is, hey, there's this, there's a this huge problem. The, the credit card decisions are being made with errors. It costs you money. Um, and what we do is recover transactions, which is functionally what we do. But the reality is that I think if you talk to many companies, they, they, they probably recognize the problem of failed payments, but they don't really internalize the full cost of what they, the harm it causes to your business. So the language we use, the metrics we use previously is that, you know, uh, we can we can get you 15, 20, 25, 30% or maybe more of the failed payments. We can recover them for you, which sounds great. But what does that mean in real terms? So what we did is we went through an exercise and, and we recognize that uh, particularly for subscription businesses whose entire business model is based on the value they provide to their consumers. They go out and they spend a fair amount of money to acquire customers and they try as hard as they can to hang on to them for as long as possible. They try to create LTV that's all driven by retention. Um, they spend enormous amounts on customer experience and, and saves and, and tactics to keep the customers billing because those are your most best, essentially where all the profits of the business come from. So we know those businesses are intensely focused on reducing churn. And the reality is that, you know, we started digging in the data and we learned that almost half of all subscription churn is not due to the customers uh, canceling subscriptions, it's due to failed payments where the customer wants to continue doing business, but the bank declines it. The, the failed payment is not recovered and you lose the customer. By definition, if the payment doesn't clear, you've lost the customer. Now, the reality is that uh, if you think about the problem in a single transaction, the loss seems bad. Like we lose a customer, we lose the transaction, but we started to look at the way that the company views it, which is if you, when that event happens, there's one of two outcomes. You either save the customer and you generate all the LTV, all the downstream payments that customer would have given you naturally over the life cycle, or you lose the customer and all the the payments they would have made. So you have this enormous difference in the outcomes financially. And so we started to go down the road of, of shifting the story that what we do is we reduce the churn rates. And it's actually the, the, the single biggest lever you can have to reduce churn and if you didn't realize that the majority of your churn, or at least half your churn, is coming from failed payments, then you're not solving the problem because you're applying uh, tactics to recover customers that actually wanted to cancel, and this won't be having any effect at all. So we've our, our entire go-to-market strategy is based on the messaging around we help you reduce churn. We know that for every subscription company, one of their core mandates every single year is going to be reduced churn. And we and when we go through now all of our, our sales processes, we ask the questions, you know, what are your priorities? And it gives us the language to be able to start translating our value into the priority that the company cares about. So it really is a powerful tool to be able to not just create the go-to-market messaging, but actually apply it on a company-by-company -company basis from as you hand off from marketing to sales to really, really refine that and find the way to translate what we do functionally into the language that the company really is going to recognize and respond to. I mean, I just, I had this incredible visual as you were talking there that messaging around lost transactions, huge impact on the business, right? So that might be this much, but now you shift the conversation over to lost lifetime value of churn, right? And now all of a sudden it's just incremental the impact. So therefore, what you said earlier was redefining the problem. 
as a priority that had to be addressed today, where lost transactions, right? That's that has to be just it's accepted, right? That, that's a part of the business, right? Yes, we want to reduce those, but we've accepted that as a part of our business model. What we haven't accepted as a part of our business model is customer churn, right? And loss of that lifetime value. So you just elevated the priority, the importance, the size of the problem. That's the essence of what we're talking about here. Now the whole narrative is very different. And, and when we talked earlier, you said that changing that narrative allowed you to discuss the real problem and come into an alignment between the company and the buyer. And like, isn't this really the problem? And when we can come into an agreement on that, so you're not asking them, do you want to buy from me? We're just talking about problem in the industry, major problem. And how are you agreeing with how we're redefining it, right? Yes to that question is not a yes to, I'm going to all of a sudden hire your company, but it's the stepping stone to then, okay, if that really is the problem, then what's the real solution? Yeah. And the value of that really is that you can change how any company perceives you, right? If we all go in and say, you should buy our stuff, which is great. And we solve problems. We promise a positive ROI, all the things that every company says, you know, that, that starts to fall on deaf ears, but if we can go in and create the perception that we are we are a trusted advisor, right? right. Our, our language is this is an enormous problem. It's harming your business. It's harming all of your competitors, and we want to help you understand how to unpack it and and the right way to think about it. And if we accomplish that, then we're halfway there to selling, of course. But I'm even confident to say, regardless of whether you choose to work with us or choose to work with one of our competitors choose to take this path because the harm to your business and the opportunity that what you can unlock is so heavy. Just go down this path and make sure you can run the metrics yourself and calculate the value to yourself and, and forecast out what the benefits are going to be. Um, and once you can create that sense that you are acting as a trusted advisor, then the credibility that you built up is, is quite, quite strong. And it really gives you a leg up and and it gives the opportunity because you've shaped the perception of how the problem is perceived and what the solution set looks like. Naturally, when you talk about the solution set, it's going to uh, revolve around your philosophies, how you built your system. You've been able to create an alignment on how to view the problem. And it gives you the ability to, because you've shaped what a good looks like in the solution, to be the role that they look for because you've helped them understand this at such a, such a deeper level. Yeah. That that trusted advisor role is what you know, Forrester, Gartner, everybody's talking yeah. about. Buyers don't want to be sold to, they want to be advised, right? And if you can take on that role and you have something that's of significance, A, you're going to get their attention, right? Because that's the kind of conversation that they're willing to entertain versus the constant sales product marketing message, right? So we're talking about getting in earlier to the buyer's journey, which is really important since 70% or so right now is being done without ever even wanting to talk to any of us, right. right? So you position yourself that way. And then what I love is on the back end, it leads to the solution, right? So you're talking about thought leadership. We're talking about establishing a reputation behind the brand. That's not something that's 
long-term dotted line to the right. to the bottom line, right? This is something that impacts every single conversation the sales team has because they don't have to establish themselves as somebody credible in order to even make a recommendation about the product because they're already in that trusted advisor position and they're already talking at a level that none of the competition typically is talking about. You created a competitive advantage for the company, you've added value to the company that transcends the product itself. Now, guess what? Experts make better products, right? So this is, this is brilliant in terms of redefining and reshaping that problem. What I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about how you then communicate that. So I think we really understand the concept, right? And really, really buy into what you're saying here. But there's, there's an internal and an external component to now communicating this, right? Absolutely. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you identify that this becomes part of your brand essence, right? And the brand essence is delivered in every interaction that a company is going to have with you. Um, I think particularly for technology companies that, and, and, and really magnified with younger companies, they often start with a product-led idea or somebody from the technology that wants to build a solution. And it may be a great solution, but often the way the company defines itself is, is revolved around the great technology that was built. And so the internal alignment across the organization as the story is reshaped is really, really critical because in marketing, you know, we can work with, we, we drive our product marketing to help craft a story. We can deliver that through campaigns. We have our analyst relations to try to help the trusted advisors that um, are amplifying our story to be able to go along the same journey with us. And often, you know, there, I think there's a hunger with the, the analysts that they're looking for fresh perspectives. And if they, if they recognize that you really understand the problem in a way that is deeper than they, they are, they're often hungry to, to learn from you. And they may or may not promote your solution, but at the very least, they're going to be able to amplify that story around, this is the way to view the problem, this is the way you should view a solution, and that creates that value for you because that aligns with, with your solution. And validation, um, by the way. Yeah, exactly. And obviously the campaign materials, the content marketing, all has to be consistently delivering that story. But working across the organization, particularly with sales, with the BDR team, with any uh, external or people have external contacts, becomes incredibly important to make sure that every interaction, that, that every storytelling opportunity the company has, regardless of who's delivering it, is consistently working along the same path and, and, and doing it with confidence and credibility. Um, so it doesn't appear as if, you know, to speak of this grip. So um, the internal alignment is often a first place to start. It gives you a chance to be able to gain validation. I think one of the, uh, the litmus tests I use is, can I tell a story fairly quickly? Um, but do I see the eyes light up when you tell it, right? Do you, do you see the internal epiphany start to be realized that, oh yeah, I see that and and now I start to get it. Because once you can accomplish that, even if it's, you know, in virtually, I think you can still see it through through Zoom and Teams calls. If you start to see the eyes light up and then people get excited. And so if you can generate that kind of reaction internally, um, and uh, and I think often, particularly with you know technology and product marketing, it allows your internal team members to really start to understand the connection between the great products they've developed and really the true value they can deliver to to customers. And so start with there, and then start to roll it out across your you know all of your activities, and and certainly look for every opportunity to be able to tell a story in mass and scale. Um, and, and and clearly, 
the story evolves over time. You will get feedback. You'll get reactions as you engage with the various companies. There might be opportunities to shape and fine tune it for different verticals based on the language that they use around their own businesses. Um, so, you know, you know that the story will look a little bit different 12 months from now than it does today and it will get smarter, but, but being able to reinforce that and deliver the experiences, um, that lead to education, that lead to your, uh, the people consumer content or tenure digital events or physical events, feeling like they've learned, um, it's a great first step. Yeah. And you know, that what I love about your focus on the internal audience, because we obviously, right. We, we think external communication because, you know, that's where ultimate change is going to happen, but what enables that, right. And if the teams inside don't quite understand they don't have the level of the depth of the knowledge that you're talking about. So I'm thinking about internal communication is really internal education as well. And yes. even that reshaping in the voice of the customers in these different vertical segments, right? That's all really good internal communication and education then for sales, for marketing, for customer success, you know, across the board. As much as people can understand about how this is being interpreted by these different markets, the more they're going to create then communications and sales processes and deeper penetration than, than they've had before. So I, 100%. I love you said, Yeah. The brand experience starts your first interaction with the company. It could be a market interaction. It could be a contact with a salesperson. It could attend a presentation that's being made, but certainly the brand experience that, that company chooses to work with you continues through every interaction they have and, and to drive that consistent experience and to continuously provide the validation that we understand your business, we understand what success means to you, and we're all striving to deliver on that um, is one of the real keys, I think, to delivering, you know, both designing what a good, a great customer experience looks like, but delivering great levels of customer satisfaction because the understanding is you are also committed to my success versus just trying to sell me something, which is, a, again, exactly what you're, how you want your customers to feel about you. I like that. You're committed to my success. What a... What better takeaway would there be, <laughs> really? Yeah. You know. So tell me a little bit. This is on the whole communication, and it's part of that internal communication. Uh, I'm sorry, external communication. But you talk about up leveling for the C-suite. Yeah. What do you mean by that? So we, within marketing, of course, we talk about personas. We talk about personas by functional role and trying to identify the language they use, um, how they what problems they care about, what they're trying to solve for, the language they use. Um, but certainly as you start engaging, interacting with more senior executives and companies, um, again, understanding what they care about, but also you know, being very cognizant of the fact they're incredibly busy, they're being bombarded with people from er everywhere um, and, and everybody's trying to get their attention. Um, but ultimately the C-suite is going to care about the company's success and, and solving big problems and, and unlocking markets. And, and so uh, that's where up-leveling the message to align the delivery of what you are providing to their core priorities is, is vital, right? Um, the benefit is if you can sell into the C-suite versus selling to a more junior persona, even if they're VP, director, manager, um, certainly any, any sale that's going to impact revenue at the very least by gaining an executive champion is going to unlock prioritization on movement. They're going to unlock visibility. 
And what is always going to be core to retention of that customer is ensuring that the executive suite has a very clear line of sight to the value you're delivering month after month. That means reporting. It means the interaction with your customer success team. It means it means uh, you know one of our customers is in the B two B space, public company, um, and our CEO and their CFO probably sit down and talk either over the phone or, or in person at least two to three times a quarter. And and so there's a level of interaction that's that's really helping cement the relationship. But it also allows us to be able to communicate directly. And, and often the C-suite is not going to have direct visibility to the, the day-to-day uh, interactions with us. And, and they may not be seeing the reporting of the value we deliver, but being able to provide a narrative to the executive suite about what we do and, and not just the numbers, but here's the impact. Um, you know, one customer we have um, actually went from a quarterly loss to a quarterly profit as a result of the extra revenue we created for them from customer recovery. And can you imagine the impact on, on valuation of the company going from a, a loss to a, a gain on, on net income? So being okay. able to really shape not just, and we talk about upselling, upgrading the message, it's on the delivery of value, but the impact of what you're having um, on their business. And that really is the narrative for the C-suite. So yeah. that, that relationship management doesn't end at the time of sale. It is more and more important to, to be able to continue that. And, and often having happy C-suites that are, are thrilled to work with you and understand the value can lead to very, very valuable recommendations and introductions down the road. Yeah, lots and lots of benefits from like, hey, if the C-suites you know, you know, bought into it at the lower levels, I'm not going to buck that trend, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. And I love the idea of the, you know, the recommendations, the referrals, the validation that comes from the C-suite as well. Well, um, we, I think we just talked about <laughs> in a number of different ways, bringing in, am, you know, validation and amplifying these external voices, because ultimately you are the company, right? So you're selling, even though the, the role of trusted advisor, and I love the, the line, you know, you're committed to my success. Whether or not you said it earlier, whether or not you choose us, this is a problem to solve, right? This is a higher priority problem to solve. And so we're just committed to your success. And if we do that, then revenue will come, right? But how do you think about using external voices in, in terms of that validation process? Yeah, it's, it's it's crucial because we all work with limited budgets. I mean, no matter how large a company is, there's always more asks we have for for needs than we have um, flexibility on spending. So to me, working with third parties um, and that ranges from the analysts, the gardeners and the foresters to industry thought leaders to, to experts and you know, often understanding the voices and the information sources that your your target market consumes and looks to for guidance from are great places to interact with. But it gives you the ability to to have your story amplified at a very dramatic level. Um, you know, we we work in a category that's still fairly young. Um, it's not a mature category like like ABM or CRM, where there's a thousand thought leaders and and heavy coverage by the analysts. And so that really is even more important for us to be able to build awareness of the problem and to, to try to get to a point where there's enough voices outside the organization telling the executives, this is something that's really important. You should care about it. Go, go develop a strategy to solve it. And obviously you're, you're, 
if you're successful in building out that messaging, you're helping to elevate the category, which is also going to help raise the tide for some of your competitors. But that's not always bad, right? If, if the tide is being lifted and you're able to create a sense of urgency within a wide swath of your TAM, that this is something that is not a nice to have. This is something that's vital to your success. And in fact, if you solve it better than your competitors, you can actually create a competitive advantage because, you know, particularly for businesses occurring delay models, whether they're serving the B2C or B2B market, if you drive longer retention and higher levels of LTV than your competitors are able to create, that gives you more operating cash flow, gives you more profitability. You can invest more in your product and increase more in acquisition. So it really gives the opportunity to leapfrog your competition and create a, an advantage that's really hard to match. And so um, that's one of the, I think the, the, the opportunities for earlier stage companies is the ability to create the story and say, there is this opportunity that exists and everybody is going to adopt it because it's a big enough problem. But the companies that recognize it first and move first actually create a competitive advantage that'll be really hard to overcome. So that I, I think that's it's sort of a neat layer there that uh, the, the influencers and the external voices that help reinforce that um, can create a sense of not just urgency, but almost a sense of FOMO that, yeah, I want to be first because I recognize that I want to solve it before my competitors do. I want to transform my, my financials in a way that they can't. I'm going to try to take what you just said, all that important data, and boil it down to an important component of your thought leadership strategy as a company is the bringing in the external voices that validate your point of view. Yeah. I mean, simply put, right? Because that's... That's what's going to lend credibility. That's what's going to lend authenticity. That's what's going to get talk value, right? Is if the important people and those those important people, they can be your customers, they can be your prospects, right? They can be industry luminaries. They can be analysts, right? There's not a limited supply of external voices, right? That when they they agree with what you said in terms of the real definition of the problem, that can then help validate that. Yeah. So and I'm, it, it's a, a never-ending resource that can be tapped into because guess what? Thought leadership is is a never-ending requirement, right? Right. And the management of those external voices, um, the way I view it is what's important to align with them is the definition of the problem and the philosophy and the strategy about how to solve it. Mm -hmm. Again, you're not you're not necessarily trying to get them to promote you. It'd be nice if they do, but that's asking a lot because they're trying to be an independent source of information for their audiences. Right. But if they're if they're amplifying the view on this is a problem, it's really important to understand and create a strategy around, and this is the philosophy you should apply on how to solve it. If you drive that storytelling with them and they buy into it, they're going to be amplifying the story of how you view the problem and how you've solved it. So it really gives you a leg up. Yeah, I mean, it's a brilliant strategy. What I, what I want to do is I want to ask you kind of boil down everything we've been talking about. <laughs> okay. If there was, if there was one takeaway for the audience that you wanted them to remember from everything that we've said, what would that be? I, I firmly believe that the narrative that you can create, the strategy you apply to how to build alignment between the problem that you solve and the way your customer views the problem is the key to solving marketing. Um, understand your customers. In fact, if you can understand your customers better than your competitors do and understand the pain points they live with, what they care about from a, and it, it, you know, a lot of these, these big 
priorities are fairly durable. They may shift from year to year, but they're typically tied to the business model. They're typically tied to what the company's trying to accomplish. And so they're not going to change out every six months. And if you understand that the problem's at a deeper level and you can craft a story that really breaks through and 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 receives a, a, an audience that wants to hear your story because you're talking a language they understand, then you've won. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you can't truly redefine the problem without understanding your ICP yeah. at a very, very deep level. So just to even accomplishing what the very you know goal of this podcast and the title was, you know, can't be done without that clear understanding of the customer. Uh, Steve, I, I think we could probably do a couple of more podcasts on this, but I just wanted to say thank you for coming on and, and sharing these insights. And at the same time, ask if, if somebody had a follow-up question and they want to get a hold of you, can we just put them to your LinkedIn link? Uh, Absolutely. Would that be this place? That'd be great. Okay. And I'm obviously happy to, to chat. I'm passionate about both the, the marketing discipline and about the category we're solving problems for. So I'd love, you know, love to provide any help and, and, and responses I can. Well, uh, I'll accentuate your passion behind this because you were fighting COVID, the, the second big wave of COVID. <laughs> we thought we were past it, you know, when we did our preparation call for this podcast and you were right there. And uh, I just appreciate that dedication and, and it, it just demonstrates your passion for what you're talking about here today. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and a lot of fun. So thank you for having me.